Hello and welcome back to Restoral Planet Podcast with me, your host Jack Cole. So today I'm joined, joined by Andy Lester from Russia, UK, who's going to talk to us a little bit about sort of more spiritual side of constellations. So Andy, welcome. If I'd start by telling us a little bit about Russia, how it all started. Yeah, thank you very much. So Russia has been going a number of years and it's actually the name Arosha comes from our first field study center in Portugal. Uh, and it means the rock in Portuguese. It's it's not got any specific spiritual connotations. Um, it sounds like a verse out of the Bible, but it's actually the name of the first headlands that the field study center was, was built around. Um, so it started in Portugal um, with a, a couple who were based in Liverpool were moving out to work in the Algarve, so it's on the south coast there. And mm -hmm. since then, it's spread as a global movement. And I'm the head of conservation at Arosha UK, uh, which covers the British Isles, uh, but anything with a, a UK flag on it. So it includes Crown dependencies and overseas territories as well. Uh, and we've been operating out of the UK now for about 25 years. So been around a while. Um, and we, our, our main focus is the churches. We, we're focused on engaging, equipping, inspiring those who are part of the church scene to get involved in nature conservation, in protecting against biodiversity loss, and in um, resilience against climate change. So those are our, our areas of, our key areas of interest, and that's our, our main area of work. Great. And tell us a little bit about your personal background, your sort of motivation and how you got into this work. Yeah, so I've been I've been working with Arosha now for over 12 years, the longest I've been in any uh, organisation. But for me, it's it's very much a, a calling rather than just a job. Uh, and many of your listeners will be able to identify with that, I'm sure. This sense that when you work in the environment sector, you're doing so because you have an absolute passion. I, I share one of my earliest memories with um, with Chris Packham, who I believe had a similar memory. Uh, and that is uh, my my earliest memories is, is being in a cot. Um, it's a push chair outside and a ladybird landed on the handle. And I had a toy tractor that had batteries in it. And I thought that ladybirds must work the same way. So I quietly pulled the ladybird apart to try and find the battery. And of course it died on me. And I remember feeling absolutely mortified that I had killed something. I wasn't quite sure what it was I'd killed. So right back to very, very early days, I have memories of nature, albeit my first one wasn't the happiest. But from the age of nine, I developed a real passion for the outdoors and the environment. Uh, I grew up in uh, a conference centre in Cheshire, um, and so as a as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old kid, um, I was surrounded by a hundred acres of farmland and woodland, and allowed to go wandering off. Which you know, in these day and age, the the idea of a kid aged six wandering off into a into farmland and woodlands probably not seen as such a good idea. But for me, it was in, it was liberating and. Um, it probably explains why both my wife and my mother decided, had said that I'm quite a rebel. Don't, don't stick by the rules. I, I'm more recently, I mean, I, I, I've climbed the usual sort of corporate ladder, went into business development and business management for a number of years, then back into the environment, got my first degree in environmental management with a background in, in agriculture, sustainable farming systems and climate. 
and then did my master's at Bournemouth University in green economy and global leadership and uh, moved to Marwell Zoo where I was headed to, I worked in the, the development area so helping develop new enclosures new exhibits uh, work with people in court on sort of corporate hospitality um, and development and then I am now here uh, leading the conservation program for this, this national charity. So yeah, so tell us a little bit about the uh, situations that people who work for Rocha would encounter in terms of conservation. Is it a mixture given climates all over, mm -hmm. all over the globe or is it something a little bit more specific within the church and religious context that people experience? So no, and we we cover partnerships that are involved in absolutely every habitat group that you could imagine across the UK. Um, so we run one of our programs is called Partners in Action, and currently it's a network of forty organisations right around the UK that are actively engaged in practical nature conservation. It's from a, a half acre urban farm. Um, in Southampton all the way through to a 1,000 acre estate mm. and lots of other things in between but it includes marine environments, upland environments, uh, wetlands, uh, farmlands, inner city urban areas so we're not precious about what habitats and species we're, we're engaged with um, uh, and we're also active on, on the Isle of Man and Northern Ireland and the west coast of Scotland and in some of the overseas territories as well, such as St Helena. But specifically, we have a program, part of the program is a, a scheme called Target 25, where we've identified 25 declining habitats, taxonomic groups and species, which we believe we can work together with others to help reduce the declines and, and transform and so that's from everything from deciduous, native deciduous woodland uh, through to taxonomic groups like um, bats and then through to species such as red squirrel uh, and marsh tit and uh, house martin. So we find that partners will either uh, jump at helping us manage habitats uh, or they'll focus more on a species angle, particularly if it's conference centre, they'll want to put up house martin boxes or swift boxes. And, and play their part. So, yeah, that is, a, in a nutshell, we, we are absolutely relaxed about where we go in. I think the, the unique part is that we are specifically engaging with organisations that would describe themselves as having a, a Christian underpinning. And so that may be cathedral spaces, it may be big landholders, it may be major conference and retreat centres, uh, it may be small urban community projects uh, but all of them would at somewhere on their journey identify with their personal faith as being a, a reason a motivator for doing the work that they're doing. Could you unpack that a little bit sort of the connection between sort of Christianity or wider spirituality and conservation? Yeah I think the starting point I think we have to be quite upfront here is that the church for many many years was playing catch-up so there are a lot of very good conservation organisations in the UK, which are still excellent and we're, we're very closely connected with, who really spearheaded change. The RSPB obviously being one, the Wildlife Trusts being another. Um, and when I first came to Arosha, um, I remember sitting down with the then chief exec of the RSPB 
And he said to me, oh, you better tell me who you are. Because I've ne literally, I've never heard of you. I've got no idea who you are. I didn't even realize there was an organization that connected conservation and faith. And so I tried to explain to him some of my motivation or our motivation. And at the heart of it is a belief that this is not our planet. It's, it's God's planet, that he is creator. Now, just for those who are hearing alarm bells and thinking, does that mean he's um, a creationist who be doesn't believe in evolution? No, the vast majority of those engaged with the organization would readily hold to theories of evolution and uh, a belief in evolutionary processes. But we would also hold to a belief that right at the outset, uh, there was a creator and he had a plan for this planet and he loves the planet and he's called his people to work to restore land, restore nature, to bring hope to communities, to bring hope to wildlife uh, and to bring lasting change. And so the greatest motivator for us of all is that we are change makers. We are working with many other secular organizations who are equally change makers. We don't identify ourselves as being better than others, but we would argue that we've got a sort of unique perspective on it, uh, which actually was handled with a degree of suspicion when we first came on the scene. But now, you know, we're an integral part of organizations like Wildlife and Countryside Link. We have a unique voice, a USP, which we'd like to speak into that space. And we're, we're thrilled to be part of a bigger network of people wanting to change the world. Um, so yeah, um, our, much of our motivation is the same, but an element of it is particularly unique. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask a little bit about what you thought the, the, the unique aspects of what the, the church could actually bring to conservation. That might actually be missing in your eyes, or not, as you said, not, not that it's better than, but just comes from a different angle. Well, that's a really good question. I think the, the starting point is that we believe there is a, a moral prerequisite to care for the planet in which we live. Uh, we believe that at the heart of most environmental problems are issues such as greed and self-centeredness, which are uh, very sort of anti a lot of our, our way of thinking. So we also very much believe that we're called to serve God and serve the planet. Um, you know, I think some of the best conservationists, if you look around the table of those who've had a lot of influence over the 20th and early 21st centuries, the likes of David Attenborough. At the heart, if you were to ask David Attenborough what he was, he would say, I'm a servant. I'm somebody who, who serves the planet and is a voice for the voiceless. I think the church, the intention of the church has always been to be a voice for the voiceless, uh, to be a, 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 an advocate for those that haven't got a voice and there's a verse in scripture which talks about the fact that creation is groaning and waiting for liberation what what does that mean it means that we are living in a, a season where we see biodiversity in profound trouble where we see one species going extinct potentially every 10 minutes where we see landscapes destroyed by broken farming and urban systems and by pollution uh, and into that space, 
we're called to make a difference, to bring about change, to bring about restoration, to bring about hope. And and at the heart of the message of the gospel is a message of 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 hope, of transformation, of of eternal life. Um, so I think you know for us it's it's absolutely key that however awful things may be, however tough people find it out there, it's not too late. Um, we are able to collectively enable creation to sing again, uh, to give it a voice, uh, to give it power, to give it meaning. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, another person who strikes me is somebody I've had huge love and respect for in terms of the voice of the voiceless is Jane Goodall and she and I've had a couple of conversations about what motivates her and it's it's fascinating how many of those who would argue that they are either agnostic or atheist their motivations are virtually identical to ours the only thing that separates us is this absolute belief uh, that God has a plan for the future and that every single one of us can be part of that plan really lovely okay so now tell us more about some of the, uh, the projects that you've got specifically going on around the uk so we've got we we have three programs um first is called eco church and eco church is a bit like the duke of edinburgh award scheme for churches for greening them uh, and it's grown in the last few years from 500 registered churches to over 6,000. Not all of them have got awards yet, but all of them are striving towards bronze, silver or gold. Gold's blooming difficult. Bronze is a bit easier. Silver's somewhere in the middle. And it focuses on everything from uh, looking after the land the churches manage all the way through to how they worship in the church through to the buildings, the insulation, the energy, the power, the whole thing, the whole journey of church. Um, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun working with such a huge network and it's, they're growing incredibly quickly, quicker than we can resource at the moment. The second is Partners in Action, which I mentioned. And as I said, that's, that's 40 organizations right around the UK, overseas territories. Um, and that, those are projects at scale so the, these are projects which are not just the church building but where people are really networking with the community together to bring about change to land habitat species and then we also have an online program called wild christian uh, which is specifically geared at a younger audience and it's free but it's a social media platform enables people to go on and they get regular top tips about actions that they can take for nature in their church, in their community, in their workplace, in their home. Um, we also run our own nature reserve. So we have an urban reserve called Wolf Fields, which is in Brentford, uh, South or Brentford area, West London. And then we have a second project um, called Fox Earth Meadows, which is on the Essex Suffolk border. Fox Earth is a wetland project uh, and we're fiddling around with grazing and with, with climate resilience and the urban project. It used to be a heroin dealing den and the Met Police suggested we took it on. So we'd had a track record with managing London green spaces. And uh, that's great. It's, it's basically a, a palette of colour. So it's, it's a sensory garden, it's food growing allotment, it's orchard, it's wildflower meadow, it's wildfowl ponds, beehives, 
uh, it's labyrinth, it's uh, uh, recycled green art, it's you name it, we've tried to put it into that three and a half acres to inspire people to go, I want to do that, but I'm going to do it better than they did uh, and take ideas away. So that, those are our, that's a summary of our, our projects. And, you know, the furthest project is a, um, a project with a church on St. Helena in the South Atlantic, which we set up a couple of years ago. Um, and then we, we have projects in central North Scotland, right across Northern Ireland uh, and across much of Wales too. So, and the Isle of Man will have a new project this year. Uh, so that's, that's a quick summary of our, our work and activity. We're also, and there's, has, you know, we're also actively involved in campaigning. So both through, uh, bigger organizations, which we partner with, but in our own right as well, we're campaigners, um, for justice on, on environmental issues across the board. As you've mentioned your organisation of projects and everything, I've been growing, it sounds like it's pretty ex exponentially. Um, where would you like to see things in sort of five to ten years, if you could predict? I think, I think if we're going to see real lasting change across this country and for it to be a shining beacon of hope for other countries to follow, then we have to deepen the work together between organisations um, who by nature would sit poles apart and away from each other. It's about starting dialogue with those we find difficult. So as a conservation movement there, we tend to follow money, you know, where the latest grants are. We tend to follow the latest themes, rewilding being one. Farming community view us and have always viewed us with great suspicion. So I would like to see a much deeper connectivity between major landowners, the farming community and the conservation movement, where there can be a collective and structured and inspired and organic move to transform this land at scale. So we are able to produce more food, more sustainably, for our own markets and for those who can't otherwise afford it, where biodiversity in our farms and woodlands recovers rapidly, where the farming community are seen as very, very significant players in driving change for the better. Um, and where we get away from a polarized political landscape where it's at the moment, if you're left of centre, you're clearly passionate about the environment. If you're anything in the centre or right of centre, you're clearly not. And that is deeply destructive. And we see that polarisation in America. We've seen it here uh, and it's got to end. So I think less polarisation, more unification, more diversity, more working together, less chasing of the funds uh, and more working towards a long term lasting strategy that will bring substantial change to this nation and then inspire others i think would be probably a summary of where i'd like to see things go not a fairly tall ask actually <laughs> well and finally with east around the corner uh andy i thought you could give us one final sort of christian message given how sort of you know it's bad news all the time uh, as you say species are dying out 
Um, it's looking pretty bleak out there. What might be something that you'd like to convey to our listeners? That sort of yeah, to well, thank going? you. Well, I brought. I mean, for those who are listening, they won't see this, but for those of you who can see it on video, I brought a tulip uh, in from outside, which had broken off in in the wind. And yesterday, I was looking at a a, a field of tulips and daffodils, and noticed how um, all of nature follows the sunlight so as you track it through the day the plants change their direction to follow the course of the sun and spiritually that is is also the case we serve uh, a god who is a god of light a god of goodness a god of beauty and we live in extremely dark times and so i i love to look at the daffodils and the tulips and at one level, scientifically, all they're doing is is being light sensitive and responding to the the change of light conditions. But spiritually, I like to think of them as rejoicing God and putting their petals and their flowers and their branches up to the heavens and saying, we love God. What we don't love is what you as people are doing to this planet. Uh, and so whenever I see flowers following the sun and trees with their branches lifted and insects buzzing and birds singing sometimes completely unnecessarily i see that as an example of the most amazing natural worship to an incredible creator and at easter when it's all about the resurrection we often get stuck in the death but but there's something beyond there's something very beautiful and there's a a bigger call as to why we can transform people, spaces, places together. Beautiful. And finally, Andy, where can people find you to support you and your work? Yeah, so we've got an active website, which is www.arosha.org.uk, www.arosha.org.uk. That has details of all our programmes. It has details of how to support us. Uh, and most importantly, details of how to contact us if you feel inspired and you want to to engage always looking for more volunteers more help more encouragement so uh, do do contact me through there andy thank you for your time it's been wonderful pleasure Jack.